All right, take two. Our first one got lost to the ether. But we're back again. <laughs> we're back again. We're talking about four-point needle technique. And so for the YouTube channel, I made a video about four-point needle technique. And this was just because this is something I feel like, at least when I went to school, we kind of tacked this on to the end of points three. And they were like, you might get one or two questions about this on the board. So here's this technique. And that's kind of all we got. But yeah, I've honestly never really used it all that much in clinic. I think I've just never had the courage to use four needles as a treatment. But from our last conversation, what something that was really interesting to me was the history of this technique. Where did this Korean four point needle technique come from? So I, I think from the history, there's many different looks at this. I mean, we'll start with the first piece. It's, it's called Korean four needle technique. And the history of that was actually off of a esoteric Buddhist monk called Sa'am. Now, we don't know if this person was real or not. There's no records technically. However, they do put the techniques to this uh, monk of esoteric Buddhism. And he went into a cave, like every other Buddhist monk, and follows that same trajectory and says he he basically went, I'm done with society. I need to be enlightened. That was kind of the take on it. So then he goes into this cave, stares at the wall, very similar to Bodhidharma on that, if anyone knows, like, that Shaolin. Yeah, I was going to say, so he didn't invent Kung Fu. He invented an acupuncture technique. Right, he invented an acupuncture technique staring at the wall. So I'm like, good job, man, good job. So he 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 was already educated as like in medical classics, so he just kept re-going into them. And then, you know, strange things happened. He got illuminated, he comes out of the cave and he says, I got this four needle technique. And then he starts applying it. Now history has a way of making people forget things, and we don't have any historical records. That's the mythology around it. And then closer toward, I, I can't remember the date, but closer to like our modern era, like 19-something, uh, a Korean scholar starts looking into these legends and mythologies of Sa'am and starts to form like, well, does this relate to the I Ching in the Book of Changes? And do, how do we actually use these techniques in a practical way? So he starts to map things in a way where uh, they are connected to psychological states and states of the mind, going back to that this system is used to cultivate um, enlightenment. So he starts breaking it down that way and starts experimenting. And then we have at least five, uh, four different charts, I should say, of how to use these techniques. The tonification and sedation, that's very common in TCM. The other thing that people don't generally hear is the cooling system and the warming system. So that's where you get that idea of this yin and yang balancing within the system. And it's been mapped to these five shoe points, each representing an element, representing a fractal within oneself and the organ connections of how they can work together. And then, again, that's a Korean side of things. However, about the same time that this Sa'am legend comes about, we also have people in Japan talking about something very similar. So we don't know historically if there was an overlap, if there was one person in particular. And then if we look at China, we have the Nanjing with the difficulty, uh, classics of difficulty there where they have this discussion and they start breaking it down that way too. So when you say he was an esoteric Buddhist, like what what does that mean? How is that different from a regular Buddhist? And when you say this is an enlightenment technique, I guess what does that mean? Does that mean if you meditate on this technique, you can become enlightened or is that – does that – Actually, yes. Yes. Or does that mean that if you do the four needles on me, you can flip my enlightenment switch and I can just say, hey, Zach, do this four needles to enlighten me? Actually, it is like that. It is closer to what <laughs> okay. you just said, Nicholas. Okay. So this is where, I mean, we, we can break this down into uh, many different facets. So the first thing, what is an esoteric Buddhist monk? It's actually a monk that actually can get results. 
That's the first thing I'm going to say. They can do uh, priestly rites and they could act as a conduit for um, essentially the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and other spirits in the Buddhist realms. And they can actually provide blessings that are results driven. So that's different than just following the Four Noble Truths or Correct. reading the philosophy. You're actually applying something to – Like this is someone that actually walks the talk and could be viewed as a Buddha or Bodhisattva on this physical plane because they've trained their skill sets uh, to become that. So that's where he's coming from first and foremost as an esoteric Buddhist uh, sect of practice of Buddhism. Uh, it does have the philosophical pieces like the Four Noble Truths. We can connect that to actually the Four Needle Technique actually too directly. And um, that's on the higher sphere within the Buddhist tradition. And um, when it comes down to more of a mundane level, this is on the point where you can recognize these points within yourselves and saw him meditated and didn't really do the needles. He just meditated on the points because remember two points are for tonification. Two points are for uh, sedation. So if you understand that concept, inhale is tonification. Exhale is sedation. So you can meditate on two points on the body, whatever those tonification points are, and you can exhale at the points where um, you're sedating. And that is a Qigong technique directly. This is why it is an enlightenment system within Buddhism to ease the suffering because you can directly work on yourself first and foremost to recognize what those reactions are. Then you can replicate that and do that on somebody else. So when you use this technique in clinic, like what situations would you use this technique as opposed to any other technique that we could use. Like if I, if someone has spleen chi deficiency, I could just go to my machiocha point prescription. I could use my back shoe points or I could use four needles to tonify the spleen. Is, is there something that makes this one stand out? So you can, again, this is a full standalone system. It can be used for anything. Um, as with anything like the back shoe points or the Madan Yang points, this is a full system onto itself. So you can throw me anything out of the Chinese medicine patterns, and I'll be able to give you a solution with the Sa'am or Four Needle technique. But is there a situation where, like you have a lot of tools in your tool belt, is there a situation where you'd use this as opposed to something else? Or is it just like, ah, needles are expensive. I only kind of, I kind of feel like only doing four today. <laughs> let's, let's get this over with. Yeah. The economics of acupuncture right here, right? <laughs> I mean, really, I do find, uh, I mean, there are different systems of acupuncture. They have different effects. I find this to be my predominant system because I like the effects of it. It's simple. It hits what you need on a deep core level. And at that point, you got to ask yourself, are you willing to take responsibility from a Buddha standard? And this is very much influenced by my uh, Reiki master teaching and all the Reiki I've trained in, which is an esoteric Buddhist system too. So this is where I would look at that with a client and say like, all right, what's causing the suffering? The suffering in you is the suffering in me. And I would do the needles and say, okay, boom, you need a tonification on earth because, well, have I been eating well? No. So we're both winning at this point. But at the same time, uh, this is where we can look at that and say, well, is there a time and place I would use uh, more than any other system? I think this is going to be based directly on palpation for me. Uh, and this is where I will, I generally keep to a four needle standard formula and then I'll add from there depending on what I see on the table. Sometimes like uh, yesterday, for example, I used uh, the Merriam Lee 10. Everyone's like, that's such a default base level treatment. You are such a great master. How can you do that? I'm like, because you're just being lazy. Right. Well, it's not even being lazy. It's more like I, I haven't really seen this one particular client in a long time. 
So I want to give them a general tune-up. Could I be very specific? I did add the two tonification points, right, um, for a particular organ, and that worked great for what they were needing. However, my base saying, I didn't see you for a long time, I'm going to go the 10 route, that works well. I did consider, should I do so? Um, should I just do the four needles? Everyone knows I generally work with that. However, because it's been such a gap and because there's so many things happening, I want to do a bilateral treatment and it seemed more fitting. So it's quite unique to each individual client. So the four needles can be its own standalone treatment. Or you can add some flexibility to it and add some other points. It's not like a concrete thing where you'd say like, oh, that's not the real technique because you added stomach 36. Right. Absolutely. And I know some people get really nitpicky about this. But as you know from our previous conversations, I don't care what you do. If it gets you results and you can measure it as a better standard than what's happening, then that's all I care about. So sometimes Sa'am hits out of the park and I just, you know, it's me fronting and peacocking with people. Especially when I used to run a student clinic, I'd be like, four needles, boom. And students would be like, what? You didn't throw 20 needles down? Like, this is what's possible if you do real Chinese medicine, <laughs> right? And it is that line. Sometimes I'm just like, porcupine them. I don't care. This is what they need. So you really have to adjust to the situation. And I guess that's another thing I never learned when we discussed this in the 15 minutes I learned it in school is I had just assumed that this was a bilateral technique just because we needle everything bilaterally. But it sounds like you're really only using four needles. How do you decide right or left? Is it all right, all left? Do you cross cross needle or so this is where the general rule of thumb, this is balancing from a like you'll hear this is the balance method. Right? Right side is for female problems predominantly that are systematic. So um, with that, if it's a female and uh, she has a systemic problem, right side points. If it's a male, left side points, and that's systematic. Now, if they have a right side problem as a female, I go opposite and go left. If it's a male that has a left side problem, I go right because now this is now counterbalancing it. You can also do cross body for this. And I found like now you got to be like, well, is it the right hand, left hand, which foot? And that is four different possibilities too. So this is where I've done all of them and for different reasons. So you just have to understand your diagnosis and why you're going about the way you're going about it. Again, why I think I was hesitant to use this in clinic is it almost seems too simple. Like uh, only using four needles seems like a very simple technique. But also in terms of diagnosis, it's like – I'm used to having very complex Zongfu diagnosis, diagnoses where it's like, oh, he's got spleen chi deficiency with excess dampness, with liver overacting, with underlying kidney yang deficiency. And like we have to address all of these things with 50 needles. But this has a very simple diagnosis. So how do you go about that diagnosis of just saying, oh, they have spleen deficiency, liver excess? or Well, again, you're doing your proper differential diagnosis. And the beautiful thing is what you just said. It's like, okay, they have dampness. They have a deficiency. They have a liver overacting. You know, with the spleen tonification point formula, it's sedate wood points, sedate the spleen one, sedate the liver one, tonify the fire points, spleen two and heart eight. Well, at that point, do I really have any problems? I've taken out the dampness. I've taken out the liver excess. I've worked on the deficiency. It's all happened all at once. And I'm doing a generation cycle with fire to make more earth. And, you know, even the kidney imbalance, you say, well, what about the kidneys? Well, we've just covered that with the Xiaoyin pairing with heart eight, 
right? Like this is the beauty of that formula. And this is why we can say this is an enlightenment system because it covered every variable you could think of in that five element uh, praxis. So it's like an elegant simplicity instead of being like, I'm going to chase every little symptom. I'm gonna, I, I feel like that's the kind of the, the elegance of using fewer points when you like when you challenge yourself to use the fewest needles possible. I had a I had a Vietnamese teacher who was like, oh, if I can do one needle, that's my ideal treatment is what's what's the one needle I can do that takes care of everything. And so this is kind of what it sounds like. And that's really my take, too. Right. So it's very much like if you can keep it simple, keep it simple, stupid. Like use KISS method to acupuncture. It doesn't have to be complex. Yeah, because I, I almost feel like when you use too many needles, I even think about this with herbs. Like if some people create these formulas that are 30 herbs long, it's almost like you're confusing the body. It doesn't know what to do with all this information. It's like an overload where if you keep it as simple as possible, you're only moving in one direction so that can have a more profound effect. Yes, absolutely. And and I think you said you use a lot of palpation. Is is that kind of your primary form of diagnosis when you're using this technique? One okay. of them. Is it, is it also the asking the 10 questions, feeling the pulse, or is it just that by palpating the channels that will give you enough information to know what's happening in the channels? It's a little bit of a mixture. I mean, if I were to be straight up, I mean, I look at what people wear right off the bat. That to me is like this feng shui type of diagnosis. What colors are they wearing? What's their body language? Remember, in a different life, I was a dating coach before Chinese medicine. So this is all the stuff where I'm looking at body language. I'm looking at vocal tonality. I'm seeing how they stride, um, all those types of things. And on top of that, then I'm looking at the pulse. I'm looking at like, um, they say the face reading and the palm reading. That was one of the primary techniques my Chinese medicine teachers taught me. They're like, if you can't figure out the problem ahead of time, well, as soon as they walk through the door, no bueno, you, you ain't that good a practitioner. So they taught me how to do face reading, uh, palm reading, and I usually cheat with the paw, um, with the pulse where I just look at their hand. I'm like, ah, I don't even need the pulse. This is just, this is just to reinforce it. I use the pulse and tongue to reinforce what I already think is happening or to at least segregate if I'm right or wrong. Right. Because I should be able to correlate all four systems in a way that I can understand it and be like, yes, they all are synchronizing. If there is something that is off, then I have to reevaluate my diagnosis. So once I have all that done, there, there is the palpation with the channels and there is energetic diagnostics, too, I'm doing where I'm feeling like what the vibe is. And are they really actually like, you know, I'd be like, are you constrained in your shoulder? And they say, how do you know? But they were hiding it really well. So I'm layering all of these facets for diagnosis. Yeah, and this is really interesting. I feel like this is a separate conversation I want to have about the the role of pulse diagnosis. And there, some people, they're magicians with the pulse, and they can tell everything about, mm -hmm. about your destiny from the pulse. And other people are like, oh, it's just a confirmation thing. And so it sounds like, right. it, it sounds like you're more on the confirmation side. I'm on the, I, I can cheat and do yeah. it. Like I could just feel your pulse and be like, you got this, 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 and this. I can absolutely do that with my skill sets. However, I'm just doing it from a confirmation piece because I'm lazy. I already know the yeah. problem by the time they come yeah. through the door and I've read all 10 questions. Like once I go through the 10 questions, I'm like, this is your problem. Yeah. This is it. I don't need a pulse. I don't need a tongue, but legally we need to cover it. So that's yeah. why I do it. Hey, quick intermission while we take a break to eat some noodles. 
If you haven't seen the YouTube video on four point needle technique, it basically goes over how to find the four points for excess and deficiency conditions. I'll leave a link in the show notes or in the description below, so be sure to check that out. And during this conversation, we actually went off on some interesting tangents that aren't really related to four point needle technique. So if you're a Patreon supporter and you want to listen to those parts of the conversation, I'll put a link in the show notes to where you can listen to those off topic bits on the Patreon feed. But let's get back into it. Oh, somebody specifically had questions about the tonification and uh, sedation technique. So, right, right. So, so, so let's talk about that because we have we you have two points that you tonify and you have two points that you sedate or drain or reduce or whatever. Whatever language you want to use, because we can't understand which one you want depending on the book. And that's so annoying that like whenever like now whenever I make notes, I have to have like four different translations of everything just because. Anyway, whatever, whether you're sedating, draining, reducing uh, versus tonifying or supplementing. Um, supplementing. <laughs> uh, what techniques do you do you use to do that? Is there a standard technique when Sa'am came up with this? Did he have certain ideas in mind or is it just whatever you feel like doing? Is it you just think happy thoughts and that's tonifying? <laughs> Actually, you're, you're not wrong about the happy thoughts. I love this when I say sarcastic <laughs> things and you're like, Actually. That actually. <laughs> So this is where it becomes a fun thing with this. Now, me personally, I can say I am energy efficient or I could say I'm lazy, whichever one you prefer, right? (laughs) And um, I end up using the meridians in a way where I will go against the meridian for sedation and tonify with the meridian. That's my general praxis of how I would do sa'am or for a needle technique. Now, I know some people will be like, well, what about those other 24 techniques? Yeah, we yeah we learned like inhalation versus exhalation, clockwise versus counterclockwise. Counterclockwise, trolling, lifting, right. You know, there's a lot. And again, I go with a kiss method. Keep it simple, stupid. So if the meridian does not get an effect, which I would expect within two minutes, that's my timeline. It's two minutes when I put the needles in that they feel something different happening. Uh, so it's not like I'm not trying to hit the duchy. A lot of people would say, you must hit the duchy to get results. I'm like, no, I just want the result. That's all I want. They got shoulder pain. Shoulder pain's gone. Great. It's dropped X amount of numbers. Like let's just say on average for myself, it's about a... It's about a three to four drop at the minimum. Usually I could hit about six or seven, right? And then people are floored. It's like, why did I go to these other practitioners? I'm like, I don't know, but you're here now. Congratulations. You made it past the door. So this is where I usually will use just the meridian directions with the needles. However, I will also just do twirling where, you know, clockwise or counterclockwise. And that's about the extent of my techniques. Right, because you don't want to be doing like manipulation techniques on the nail bed for jing wells. You don't want to be doing that on the wrist by your friggin' like vessels there. You'll bruise up, right? So this is where I, I tend not to do a lot of stimulatory techniques at all. However, just because I'm putting the needle in does not mean that uh, you know I am not trying to engage the duchi through qigong, right? Because this is where the cultivation practice comes in. Yeah, and this is one of those things where I feel like we have – I just think logically because we have so many different techniques that work, 
is it actually the technique or is it your chi that's actually doing the work rather than the technique and the technique is just there for show? I think it's a training tool mostly. At the end of the day, it's a practitioner working with a client and the practitioner needs to have good chi to do the technique to get a simulatory effect. So for example, why can I work with clients distally and not have to do needles? It's because it's energy work at the end of the day. So this is where we have to understand a fundamental question where a lot of people don't like answering this. Do you believe in Chinese medicine's energy work or don't you? Because if we're talking about chi, fundamentally, if you train in energy work, you don't need the needles. If you do need the needles, well, then that's okay. You're using a physical component of density to manipulate a physical point on a body to get effects. However, if trained in energy work well enough, you don't need it at all, and that's a training tool. So this is where the techniques where you're stimulating, like you're putting a needle down and uh, burning the mountain technique, and you're going, I think it's like a drill of like, what, nine yeah, or something like yeah. that? It's like you're going down. What's that f physically doing? You're causing friction to go in the body, and the friction causes heat. That causes a stimulatory effect of the chi or the nerves, whatever you want. It doesn't matter. And then at that point, you're going to get a reaction that is warming. Okay, great. You know, you could just probably do warming energy techniques and get the same effect, right? So this is where there is a lot of nuances within the qigong and energy work that you don't need these, but these techniques train you subconsciously to understand what's happening. And so before when we talked about the four needles, it's – so the, the, the two techniques we learn are based on the sheng and the ke cycle, but you talked about another mm -hmm. warming and cooling method. That's another thing I've never heard yes. of. What's what's the deal with warming and cooling using four needles? So with tonification and for sedation, those are pretty straightforward. That is talking about a depletion of volume. But remember, we also have temperature, which is heat or cold. And you'll see that in herbs quite a bit. They're like, it's a cooling herb, it's a hot herb, it's a warm herb. So that's where we're actually mirroring that within acupuncture. So with those general techniques, you are usually doing something to the child and you're usually using warming techniques, which is you're increasing fire points on the meridian. And then you're going to replicate that to the child and sedate them, depending on which, uh, if you're doing heating or cooling. So when you say warming technique, is this like moxa or setting the mountain on fire or is this the point selection? It's literally you just place the needles in. It's okay. a point selection itself. So you would use fire points or you use water points predominantly as the vector and then you would have the child points for the element being reinforced. Okay. So so instead of like doing something with the Ku cycle and the controller, it's more about just fire and water are warming and cooling. It's mostly a fire and water combination. So well, use it for warm and cooling, but this also comes down to from like, well, what is warming, what is cooling? There's the temperature aspects. But now this gets into more metaphors now, which I, I've already talked to you um, offline where I would like to do my herbal studies, right, where I'm breaking it down. Well, what does cold really mean? Yes, there's a physical temperature change, but there's also the idea that you might be frozen in life and you don't want to move for whatever reason. And then you need to get warmed up. And how do we warm you up? One, I could just shoot fire up your butt and just be like, get going. That's like, that's the equivalency of using a hot treatment, like boom, 
Or I could just be, here's some chicken soup, here's a blanket over you, and then we'll just melt everything away, and then maybe you'll sweat it out, and then maybe you'll come to the realization you should start moving because you're defrosting, and this is not a good place to be. So that's what you're talking about in Sa'am with these warming and cooling techniques. It's saying, is the person frozen, or are they overstimulated, and they're in a fight reaction, so they're like, let's go, and they're all heated up. Well, you got to cool them down and give them a cool head. And that's what you can do with the meridians too, because at least in my opinion, the meridians are not separate from the organs. So by directly stimulating the meridians, you are directly saying you want this change in the temperature for the organ. Now, if you switch the temperature of the organ, what do you think is going to happen? It means that there's going to be a more rapid shift because you've changed the environment. Whereas if I worked on the organ directly through this uh, Shang and Ke cycle with this moving the qi or boosting it up or uh, pulling it down, depending on what's needed, that's a slow change. I mean, as you know, through herbs, tonification formulas take a long time. But cooling formulas and heating formulas, not so much. It's pretty fast, and that's why you got to be careful on them. So this is very analogous to herbs on this for acupuncture, which is nice, because now you can have a parallel with that, and you can actually connect it to, say, the six stages, which is talked about within Sa'am sometimes. So the, the warming and cooling, you might say, is a more dramatic technique? It's a more dramatic technique, absolutely. And this is why you got to be careful on that, because if you drop someone's temperature really fast, what could happen? Well, they'll get really cold and they start shivering. And then, then what? Yeah, and I guess that's another thing to talk about is what are the potential side effects here? Because I feel like there are a lot of people who think that you can't really do any wrong with acupuncture, that no matter what points you needle, the person will feel nice and relaxed. And maybe if too much chi goes to the head, you just go walk barefoot and it'll relax back down. Um but I guess at least what I've heard from other people and like five element practitioners, they say that this Ford needle technique is a very powerful technique. You're not asking the chi to go somewhere. You're telling the chi to go somewhere. And there's maybe greater potential that if you screw up, you will hurt someone. Well, if we take it as both perhaps that this is an illumination enlightenment system of acupuncture, what, what's going to happen? It means we have direct, like you are directly working on the person's shen. That's what's happening. So when you're working from that um, viewpoint, yes, dramatic things are going to happen. So what are the downsides of this? People get sick on the table right there and their issues get aggravated. I've seen this time and time again. And I literally have seen uh, students do this too. When they are like, Zach, I just want to try it. I'm like, okay, try it out. I'm pretty much at the point of go YOLO. Like, you know, don't cause the physical traumas that would be contraindicated to go to the hospital. Like, don't do any of that. But energetically, fine. It's like, you want to try this? I know the solution energetically, right? So, like, anatomy risk, no, that's not happening. But energetic risk, we can talk about that. Like, play around. I'll be able to fix them up. And I do. So, this is where... Um, as a learning student, you don't know what the power of acupuncture is till you see a negative result, which this is the beauty of Sa'am. It gets your diagnostic really clear, really fast. So aggravated issues um, that people came in for. So I've seen literally people have more pain where it jumps up to like if it started at six, it jumps up to a 10 if it gets bad. Um, I've seen people break down on a table. Not that that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. However, um, it might even severely push them into more negative emotions because that's what they need to deal with. But that's still a negative reaction, in my opinion. Right. So you'll get these effects 
where it's dramatic and people know what's happening or they'll be like, why do I feel like all these needles on my body? That's something I've seen with Sa'am too. You hit a point in a certain way and people are like, it is literally stabbing pain. And you're like, there's no reason there should be stabbing pain here. No reason based on the anatomy and the way the depth is. It could be like this and people are like, oh, right? So this is where those are the negative effects. But if it can do that, what are the positive effects? You press the point, the pain's gone in two minutes. So you can't, this is a go big and go home system. And this is where I'd say the worst thing that can happen with the system, nothing happens. Nothing happens whatsoever. And then you kind of lose faith in acupuncture. And this is where I think a lot of contention comes in between an acupuncturist and an herbalist, right? A lot of herbalists, like you can't do internal diseases as acupuncture is almost for MSK, musculoskeletal. That's about it. And I've heard this argument from herbalists through and through herbalists all the time. I'm like, go screw yourself. I have literally done miracles with four needle technique and there's no way that an herbalist could do that. Right? I've literally had clients come in and they say, we went to these herbalists, no results. We come to you, it's taken care of. I'm like, yeah, I know they're taken care of because fortunately I have damn good training for my teachers. So this is where you see acupuncture can actually have a positive effect and a powerful effect. Um, and I remember, we are equivalencies to the surgeons. Would you say a surgeon has no power over you? No. You, when you're on the surgery table, they have all the power over you to do damage. And so if you do screw up and get a negative result, do you just undo it by doing the opposite so you're like oh i tonified the liver oh shit yes. that was wrong i better just do the four points to drain the liver and that will that's like hitting the undo button that is one of the solutions there now you know in my experience there are a few ways you can go about the solutions one you could say okay i tonified the liver oops bad things happened sedate just go opposite i just completely reduce it's the same needles actually this is the great thing you now this gets into technicals like do you want manipulate do you want to pull out the needle do you want to re-put more needles because they're on the same points so this is more of a technical question on like do you want to manipulate all those needles and vice versa the answer is maybe maybe not but you could use a sedating technique or go the opposite if you're doing cooling go warming go if you're warming go cooling right so you have that effect and those are the same points that you would just change the needle angle. Oh, so it's not like you would switch – like if you were tonifying, you tonify the mother. It's not like you would take that out and sedate the son, sedate the child instead. Oh, that that's the second step you could do, right? So one, Okay, okay. Yeah, so one is just to do the opposite needle technique of the points that are already in yeah. there. Number two is switch the points to the opposite – Switch the points completely. Okay. And then you have two choices from that point. One, internal-external pairing, right? So if you did a liver thing, go to gallbladder, right? So that's an option, right? That I don't – I'm not a big fan of. I find it helps, but it's slow. It's like it's going to be like a trickle. It's like people will be like, oh, yeah, that feels better, but not really, right? For Again, if you're going to do it, do it right, so I found in my experience, you go the Dre Yin uh, Meridian, which is pericardium. So anything pericardium does can possibly counter liver. So that's your third option, the six stages combinations. Anything pericardium can do can counter liver. Anything liver can do can counter pericardium. Or you go internal, external, which is gallbladder liver. Then you have the opposite opposite, which is 
uh, instead of gallbladder or pericardium, what is the next combination with gallbladder? Shaoyang, triple energizer, Sanjiao. Sanjiao can counter everything that liver has on a more faster level. So this is, those are the three different tools you could use in four needle technique, depending how fast you want a result. I usually end up just going opposite pair of the six stages because anytime there's a liver problem, I'll be like, well, who needs better free flow of cheese? Triple energizer does all this with the UN cheese. Boom, grounded in. So that that is what I find to be a very fast solution. And that's when things go bad, you go opposite on the, uh, in this context, the Dreyan scale, but that applies for all the six stages. Well, now I don't know. We were you were in the middle of saying something. I don't remember what potential negative effects of the heating and cooling. Right. So I would generally say, you know, dip your foot in the pool. This is not a dip your toe and tested type of system. It's you go in at least put in something for a commitment. Uh, so if you're just beginning the system, play around with tonification and sedation. They are fairly like standard. There are like safeties around those. Like people are always going to have excess issues. People are always going to have deficiency issues. And because of the four needle technique, the way it's set up, you're clear. Like you don't need to worry about this. If you sedate too much of the liver, is it going to hurt anything else? Not really. If you tonify too much of the liver, is it going to really hurt anything? Not really. So this is like, these are the safety grounds where you start to train and get to get familiar with the system. Now, when we start getting more advanced, I probably say, I won't say it's university level, but you have to at least have gone through some tracks and getting that system of tonification and sedation down for a bit. Then you can start playing with heating and cooling systems, which now you're saying, okay, let's directly change the temperature of the body. That will have a more significant effect, however, because it has a more significant effect. Your diagnostics have to be on point. Now, they were on point with tonification and sedation techniques. However, with the heating and cooling, they really have to be sharp, like a sniper type of precision on it. Because if you get it wrong, people will feel it right away. And I've like when I was starting to play with temperatures with the heating and cooling, I could do something and people would be like, uh, my throat's feeling hot right now. Like, and it'd be, and you'd be like, oops, okay. I screwed up the lungs. Sedate heart eight, sedate lung 10. Right. But you have to know your solutions at that point. And you really almost have to, I don't want to say mind map it, but you need to play a shadow game within yourself. Like if I screwed this up, what are my solutions ahead of time? Because you have limited reaction time. If you're shadow boxing with yourself as an acupuncturist or any Chinese medicine practice as a modality, at least in my headset, I'd say, okay, if I was a jerk to myself and I was a horrible practitioner, I did this, how would I fix this treatment? I always ask myself that question on a subconscious level. And I always try to write this down on a piece of paper. I'll be like, initially, when I was first starting as a student, I'd be like, okay, if I did a large intestine tonification, LI11, stomach 36, LI5, SI5, sedate those fire points, tonify those earth points, what am I going to do? What's the worst case scenario that can happen here? Well, I am tonifying stomach 36. Is there really any problems with this? Well, no. Most of the time, this is for a deficiency context. But... In the hypothetical that stomach 36 could screw somebody over, uh, I would expect maybe more excess and, or maybe I feel that the meridian on the stomach meridian will start to innervate and really get the foot 
um, engaged more than I wanted to, or maybe they might feel it up their face. Okay, what do I do at that point? I have a few options with this system now. One, I could sedate large intestine five to take that out of the body because it's in the same system. So that makes sense. Large intestine, young Ming channel makes perfect sense to counter. Uh, and the second system that I could look at is saying, all right, could I counter this by just removing the needles? Sometimes you removing the needles does not fix the problem. I'll tell you that right now with this system. The next point from there is, well, what counters large intestine? Well, spleen does. So I could start hitting spleen points and that would start to counter and add more dampness to the body. And then that would, and most people think, oh, dampness bad. No, you need the moisture and humidity, right? So then I would engage the spleen and that would counter everything with large intestine. So this is why you have to have these mapped ahead of time because if your reaction time on the table is like, ah, they're panicking, panic is contagious. So you need to have a cool head to yourself and have this mapped and have these uh, gameplays all settled before you even get to that table. And if you do, and something negative pops up, you can keep your head cool, which will then keep your client cool. So with the warming and cooling, is the countermeasure like if you are warming and it was bad, do you then drain the fire or do you switch to the water and counter the warming with cooling? I generally counter it with cooling right off the bat. I will drain fire, but that's a slower process. I will start hitting water points right away and vice versa on the opposite. If people are getting too chilled, I start hitting fire points. I don't even bother with the same element points being emphasized. And so we said before, like the worst thing that can happen is nothing. And I feel like this doesn't just apply to four needles. This applies to any acupuncture tr technique that – especially when you're first starting out, can be real depressing when you go in there and nothing happens. So if nothing happens, what's the solution? Like, I guess what's, how do we diagnose that? Is it like your, your point selection sucked and you didn't actually get the point? Is it because you don't have enough chi, you need to do more qigong? Is it you don't have the proper mindset and you don't understand the metaphors? Like how, if somebody says nothing happened, how do you fix that? Well, it's all the above of what you just mentioned, right? So it's like from there we can piecemeal it depending on the practitioner. Some people are are not going to do qigong. I could I could like shout to the wind and be like, I think this is a magical practice. I think this is a qigong practice. You need to get your skills up. Now, again, I expect miracles from this type of medicine though. So I'm holding myself to a very high standard. I know that's not the game for everybody. That's okay. So if that's already off of your block where you're like, Qigong, I am not going to cultivate myself. I'll be like, all right, fine, whatever, cool. What's the next thing? Be deductive and logical at least. At least be able to spout me your diagnostics with your symptoms, right? And tell me their organ functions. It surprises me how much practitioners don't even know their organ functions or point locations or point functions. It is like... I'm like, what? How how are you here? I just used my intuition. Right? This is where I'd be like, nay, nay, right? <laughs> intuition is testable, right? This is a key thing. A lot of people don't think it's testable. It's it's actually testable, and I do it all the time. So this is where I can say things, and people are like, you're right on the money. And I might have a third-person um, objective um, to really scan what's happening there. So intuition is totally objective. And I know a lot of people are like, but it just feels right. I'm like, I don't care what your feelings are. Dr. House is talking in the yeah. house right now. <laughs> so let's be logical then, right? If you're not cultivating your skill sets on sensitivities and qigong, fair. We can accept that. Then you should be able to at least tell me the book. 
you should be able to tell me the functions of the organs and those things that no one likes. And I will agree, I don't like Machiocha. However, those point prescriptions from Deadman, Machiocha, Chinese acupuncture, Mark Sebastian, they're there for a reason, right? It's because they work. And they have a track record. It may not be the most effective. It may take 10 treatments. But now you're really delineating things like, well, do you want a treatment in one session or 20 sessions? Now, both of us know that one session ain't going to help you. I mean, you might look like a badass and a hardcore healer, but that ain't going to get you food on the table. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be it's going to be hard to pay my rent. Right. So this is where, again, that's a whole different conversation we can have on the business as acupuncture and what it means to fully help your clients and sustain yourself. So this is where, all right, if we know the point locations are there and they're by the book, that is the safety techniques that if you don't know what you're doing, at least refer back to the book and have those memorized and be able to flip them. Because I will drill students when I'm in the student clinic, I'll be like, what's this? And they're like, um, I'm like, no, four gates does not fix everything, right? It really doesn't, right? So then it's knowing your functions, knowing your points, knowing what those points do. And actually, again, it's almost verbatim board exam stuff. Know the points to what the pattern is. It's not the best, you can play around, but it's good enough to go. So that would be the second level. Third level, I would say is at that point, if they're not doing things, get handsy. Your hands can't lie to you. If you feel something gummy in the meridian, it's probably because it's gummy, right? So this comes back to now Twina, which no one wants to do anymore. And again, it's an area I absolutely love because um, uh, that was a trained specialty of mine in terms of uh, that was my focus when I was apprenticing. So like the adjustments with the bones, that osteopathy, like all that I like doing because, look, it doesn't matter if your needles are good. Sometimes a person just needs a friggin' adjustment, right? <laughs> like a low velocity adjustment with oscillation. Done deal. So I will look at it from do you have the knowledge? Do Have you trained the intuition and sensitivities? Or is it actually something you just can't work on because there's a skeletal or like physical structural issue? If those are all kind of looked at, then you're probably going to get some results at the end of the day um, between the three of them or a combination of the three, in my opinion. Anything else we should add about Korean four-point needle technique? Four-point needle technique. Blow yourself up. Test it on yourself. You actually can test it on yourself as an acupuncturist, right? Think about it. It's like you've got one hand free. So you're like, doot, 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 doot. And you got four needles. And you know what? You're not having to bend over and be like, oh, I can't get these back shoe points. You should not do back shoe points on yourself. Just don't do it. But the four needles, it's safe. It's on the hand, it's on the limb, by the elbow or knee, it's by the foot. This is how I do self-treatments. People are like, Zach, do you do acupuncture on yourself? It's like, yeah, you know why I like four needle technique? One of the main reasons is because I can actually treat myself. Because I don't have to do this play of bilateral, like it really sucks. When you nail one side of yourself and you're like, stomach 36 is hit, and then you have to do the bilateral on the other stomach 36 and you're bending yeah. over because you got that <laughs> muscle tension, it just yeah. sucks, right? So let's just admit it first. And then from there, and I'm a tall person. I'm like 6'2". So when I have to bend over and touch my feet, it is a reach. So I have to get like these points on like liver three. I'm like, screw that. I want to do it one time and that's it. 
So that is one of the strengths. Remember, as for Neil goes, you can actually do this as a meditative practice on yourself. You can just breathe into the tonification points and you can exhale the tonification points if you're more needle adverse. That said, if you are an acupuncturist, you should actually apply the medicine that you use on other people, in my opinion. So stab yourself uh, safely, obviously, with the proper depth and indications. However, this is something you can massage. This is something you can uh, just breathe in from a Qigong practice, or you can actually needle yourself on this uh, for training. Obviously, do it safely if you need money. And so you can needle yourself because I've heard some people say like, oh, you can't needle yourself. That's like it won't work because it's like trying to tickle yourself. Just your energy can affect your own energy. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that camp. I'm like, okay, so you're basically saying I have to rely on other people to heal myself. Great. Like, what kind of healer are you that you need other people to heal you? Like, I'm more of a self-sustaining type of person. Like, yes, there's times that I'm too close to the situation and I need to get some help from other practitioners and say, look, I'm screwed. Please help me. I count on my hands for Chinese medicine how many times that's happened, right? Most of the time I can take care of my own problems and not saying I have to do it. It's nice if someone else can take care of it, but in a pinch, I can do it for myself, and knowing that it's on one side of the body only, like, you know, what would be a Twina technique for sedating? Lick. <laughs> like, it's this lift. Okay, what's tonification? Press. That's very simple. You can do that and you're already practicing your techniques that you would need to use for your clients because this is finger strength training now. Which, again, it's one of these things like, do people do that anymore? Not really, but it's okay. It doesn't matter. Right? But from a Twina standard, you can be self-reliant on yourself and that's what I do like about this system a lot. I don't need anybody to help me with this. It's nice if I have the convenience of it, but in a pinch, I can do this all by myself. And then I can work on interdependence, not independence on this. If people want to find you, where should they go? So if you're in Toronto, we have a beautiful store for the spiritual uh, training pieces and that is on queencitycurio.ca. If you're looking for acupuncture, Reiki, or divination coaching, that's where you can go to wujixuan.ca. So that's for all our services there. So you either have the spiritual services, which I will, and uh, the co-owner and my teacher, Andrea Vitimus, uh, will assist people with spiritual services. And we have Chinese herbs too, very fresh. And I was quite happy about that because we have North Korean ginseng. I was I, I was freaking out. I was like, this is good stuff. It was like, it's not even the, oh, these are from northern China, Jinlin Mantis. I'm like, no, this is the hardcore stuff. So I, I was quite happy about that. But our Chinese medicine herbs I've been very happy with. So people, we do ship them to the States all the time. So any herbals or any stones or anything like that, we can send. Uh, with the shipping. So we have Queen City Curio for all our spiritual uh, trainings where we do trainings every two weeks. And then we give you access for memberships depending what you want. So we have the spiritual trainings. We have a public library for spiritual things in Chinese medicine. If you're a member, you get to have access to all my Chinese medicine books that you can pull out of the library to read if you're local in Toronto. And then for services, we are at Wuji Shuen Life Wellness, all located 607 Gerard Street East, uh, Unit 401, Toronto, Ontario, in East Chinatown. So that's where we're located with our wellness center. Mr. Zachary Louis, always a pleasure talking to you. 
always pleasure talking to you, Nick. This episode can be downloaded at podcast.tcmstudy.net slash session 17. There you can also find additional links and show notes. Special thank you to Zach Louis for being here, and thank you to the Patreon members who support this podcast, YouTube channel, and the website tcmstudy.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend, and we'll see you in the next one.